was in 1975, December, at a camp in Delavan, New York, called Circle C. Some of you might be familiar with that camp. Uh, I went for the very first time to a winter camp there. Uh, Wes Aram was the leader of the camp. And we were bunking out among our youth group. And that night, my brother-in-law and I, uh, David, went up to the bathroom where we sat and talked about the things of God. I'd been in church for a while. My family had been going to church for about two, three years and just was still making decisions for myself as a young man. But in December of 1975, up in that bathroom at Circle C Ranch, sitting on the vanity, talking with my brother-in-law, we made the decision that we were going to follow God for the rest of our lives. And that August, I made my way to a place called Elam Bible Institute. And from that point on, my life has been entangled with Elam in some way. There's been a connection for which I will forever be grateful because those first days at Elam uh, were, were like revolutionary in my life to realize that God was as real as I had come to know him. One of the things that we have the privilege of because of our connection with Elam is connecting with people of Elam throughout the years. And one of those connections that I have had for some years, and actually my wife has had longer than I because he was actually her youth group leader back in the day, uh, is with Michael Cavanaugh, who is the president now of Elam Bible Institute and College. Uh, Mike has done so many things over the years. I was trying to remember yesterday all of the different things from uh, when he was at Elam to going to uh, assist in pastoring at Oswego to basic ministry, which was for college-age ministry at that time, then to MTS, Mobilized to Serve, for the single ministry. Then he was the pastor of Elam Gospel Church in Lima for like... 20-some years, and then uh, from there, he was the um, vice president of Elam Fellowship, and now the president of Elam. I mean, it's like just a, a who's who in his life. But the thing that struck me more than anything else was remembering uh, years ago, we were at a uh, retreat in Florida, and he shared his testimony. I, I don't think I'd ever heard it before, of the brokenness of his life growing up in, I think it was Utica, New York, in that area at least, the brokenness of his life. And how God sent some people, some of them connected with Elam, to a street corner to ask him if he knew anything about God and would be interested in knowing anything about God. And from that point on, how God continued to pursue him. And now you look at his life and the thing that God has done in and through him over all these years is a constant reminder to me that it doesn't matter where we've come from. It matters what God wants to do in us. God can use anybody if we will give him an opportunity in our lives. And we are grateful today to have the privilege of having Mike and Terry Cavanaugh with us. Uh, they have been a part of Elam for longer than I have, and they have done some amazing things. I've seen God do things in their lives. And one of the things that I remember the most about Mike uh, well, I have actually two memories. One of them was during the renewal back in 1994, and uh, God did such tremendous things in so many of our lives and so many of the churches. But God was doing something in Elam Gospel Church at the time. And I can remember, we would have ministry, people would be all over uh, the building, on the floor, just soaking in the presence of God. Mike would go up, and he would begin to just quietly read the Psalms to us. And I love that. I found that so helpful that we were connecting what God was doing with his word. And I love that. 
The other memory I have was at a time in my life when I was struggling with this whole idea about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because I had this mindset that God was supposed to come in and take over your life, your mouth, your mind, and it couldn't touch your mind, and you couldn't know anything that was coming. I just, it was just, I was agonizing over this. And I can remember sitting and talking with Mike in the cafeteria, the old cafeteria at the time. And I can't remember what was going on. I don't know what the occasion was, but we were there talking. And he said to me, you know, Chris, it's not as hard as you're making it. All you're doing is you're asking God to do what he promised he would do. And then whatever he brings to you, you actually just let it happen. And I thought, yeah, but the thoughts that come into my mind, the sounds sound so stupid. He said, well, you know, if you've ever been around the world and you listen to people speaking another language, sometimes that sounds crazy too. But you just let God do it. And that became for me a freeing point in my life when it came to the issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and believing God can actually do something through me in that way. I know that God touched my life at that time and has continued to do that on a regular basis. But it's our privilege to have Mike and Terry with us this morning. And he's coming to speak along the same thing that we've been on for this entire month. Knowing the will of God, discerning the voice of God, being able to believe that we too can hear from God. So I'm going to ask if you would welcome them as they come. I don't know if Terry, if you're going to share it all or... No, no, just Mike. Thanks. Well, it's a treat to be here. There's a little uh, uh, note-taking guide that you can uh, grab if you didn't get one. I'm sure the ushers have some. Just lift your hand up if you'd like one of these and you didn't get one. Okay, they'll help you right out there to uh, make that happen. Well, what a thrill. I I just have to take a moment just to uh, honor the Lonneville clan and the way they have poured their lives out in this community over these many years, huh? It's, you, you guys are part of the recipients of that, and all of you as a team, as a church, joining together and working, and just to be here and to see the life and the children, all that's happening, what a tremendous, uh, tremendous work that, that has happened during that time. You guys have done a great, great job, and I can see there are great things up ahead of us. Well, you know, it's interesting hearing the stories of uh, uh, how different people got saved that we were hearing just a few moments ago. And, and uh, how many of you are convinced that God has a plan, right? God has a plan. He's got something he's up to. And uh, we, life seems to go a lot better if we can align ourselves with that plan, though sometimes it's challenging to figure that thing out. Um, A few years ago at Elam, we were uh, at a place where we were working on getting accreditation for the school. And uh, it's hard for me to describe to you the level of uh, detail and the work and all the things that had to be done. But finally, we were at a point where I was, uh, as president of the school, I was to go to Dallas, Texas and stand before the accreditation commission there uh, in Dallas, Texas for TRACS, which is the accrediting association that we're under, part of uh, the United States uh, uh, Association crediting, you know, that kind of thing with the federal government and everything else. And, uh, and so anyway, it came time I was supposed to go and basically it was the final, they read, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages about the school and what we're doing and all these different kinds of things. And then, and then uh, there's two people that were assigned the responsibility, they're called readers, and they were assigned the responsibility to question me about different aspects of the school. So you can imagine it was a little intimidating. I, I uh, went into the, the room, it was like a, kind of a 
semi-circle kind of a situation with tables and and uh, they were the kind of tables set up where they had the little microphones, you know, like you see in Congress or something like that where they press the microphone and talk into the microphone and that kind of thing. And I came to the front with uh, some of my staff and we sat at a table in the front and they were uh, they were going to question us and I was I was pretty intimidated. And so um, I, I sat there, and uh, up in front, one of our readers was also the vice chairman of, the, of this uh, commission. And um, uh, he was a black man uh, uh, up in the front. And, uh, and, and uh, so anyway, so the chairman says, you know, welcomes us, everything else. He says, so we're going to turn it over to the readers now. And he turns to this guy next to him, Benjamin Kalanja. Uh, Benson Karanja. He says, Benson, you know, go ahead. And, um, and so, uh, so he, 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 he begins to speak. And, he, and when he starts to speak, I can tell as he begins to speak, there's a little bit of an African lilt to his voice. And uh, he says, uh, he says, well, let me ask, before I ask you any other questions, let me ask you this. He said, are you the Elam that has sent missionaries to Africa? And, uh, and so, you know, I was, I was happy to have that be the first question because, you know, uh, Elam has had an outstanding uh, ministry in Africa over the years. And, and, uh, and so I said, uh, I, said, uh, I said, yes, sir, we are. We've been involved in Africa and Kenya and East Africa in particular, but all different aspects of Africa for many, many years, a part of a great revival that was there in the 50s and 60s. And, and you know, just kind of, uh, and I said we were for the founders of uh, the Pentecostal Evangelical Fellowship of Africa, which is probably the maybe the second largest denomination in all of uh, East Africa, and so um, so I'm saying uh, I'm saying all this, and uh, and I finish up, and he says uh, he says, well, he says I am an Elam alumni, and I and I'm thinking to myself, he's not an Elam alumni because. You know, being the president of the school, if he was he was the president of Beulah College down in Atlanta, and uh, and I I would know if he was an Elam alumni. I would know that, you know, and uh, so I said, sir, what do you mean by that? And he said, he said, well, he says about uh, 55 years ago, he says a missionary, a young man, a student, came from Elam and came to my village and lived there and ministered to the children in the village. And I was one of the children in that village that he ministered to. And uh, he said, I actually have at home, I have little tests I took and little things that at the top of them, they say Elam Bible Institute, where I, I was being ministered to as a 10-year-old child, at, uh, you know, at this thing. And uh, I thought to myself, I was just, as I'm sitting there in front of this whole commission, I thought to myself, this is um, Fifty-five years ago, a student goes from Elam to Africa, probably thinking to himself when he was in Africa that he wasn't really making much of a difference. A little group of kids, little kids in, in some little backwoods village of Africa, never knowing that the child that he was ministering to 55 years later would be the president of a college, vice chairman of this association, and, and would be in the position to determine whether or not Elam would receive its accreditation. Think about it. Just think about it. And think about yourself. 
you know, what you're doing today. Maybe you get, you know, you looked at your last week and you thought, well, that really, you know, maybe it didn't amount to that much. And you, maybe you got all these little kids around you and your your family, uh, you know, and you're thinking, oh, you know, uh, you know, my life is just being poured out in this stuff, but it's not really. There's not really much of a consequence that's happening. Little do you know, when God has plans, he, you know, I plan what I'm going to do next week, right? If I'm really aggressive, what I'm going to do next year, right? But God knows 60 years from now something he wants to have done and he's working in your life right now, setting something in motion that 60 years from now is going to step up in a moment and I'm going to be there standing filled with fear and, and, uh, and all at once the guy is in a position. We literally, he asked me a couple of meaningless questions um, he said, "He said you're free now. You can step out of the room." We 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 went out of the room, out the door, walked about this far away, and the door opened up again. And they said, "Come back in." And we turned around, walked back in. And they said, "We welcome you. You're accredited college now." Blah 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 blah. You know, in the situation. You know, because we had the favor on us in that situation that we were in. Isn't it amazing? God has a plan. And I want to talk to you today about this idea of divine guidance, right? Can we know, the, the stuff I'm going to share with you is not uh, something new that I created this week. It's, it's material that has been tested over many, many years. I've used it with all of my children that uh, grew up. Uh, I have three, my wife and I have three uh, children, um, uh, two of them missionaries related to China, one of them an uh, entrepreneur businessman with a very high Christian commitment, but all, all of them dedicated together. And I taught them when they were younger, I said, this is how you make decisions. This is how you can make wise decisions. If you, if you do these things that I'm going to talk to you about right now, these, these, these little, this, this little path that I'm going to lay out for you, there is a much more chance, there's a great likelihood that you're going to make good and positive and wise decisions. And it's, um, this uh, teaching is actually based on a, uh, a book by a fellow by the name of Bob Mumford. Have you ever heard that name before, Bob Mumford? Bob Mumford, he was in the, Pen the uh, charismatic movement. He was, you know, probably the most prominent teacher, one of the most prominent teachers in the body of Christ. Also happened to come uh, from Elam Bible Institute and uh, was uh, on staff there at one point. But Bob wrote a book called Take Another Look at Guidance. And in the book, he uses an illustration and uh, it's, a, uh, it's, a, um, it's an illustration of a harbor. This is a harbor. You're going to really be fascinated with my capacity to draw today. Okay, so he, he, here is a harbor, and here, here is this, the, this harbor. And, and, and so how does a mariner, how does a, a ship know when it's safe to turn into this harbor? Because within the harbor, there are shoals. There are different things that you can't really see. They're under the water. You can't really see. If the ship just turns in and tries to go into the harbor, not knowing where these shoals are, it's going to get destroyed. It's going to get damaged. And so what they do is they, they put harbor lights in, four, four harbor lights, we'll say here. And, and, the, the, uh, and what happens is this, the ship comes along, when the ship is looking, if the ship looks and it sees four distinct lights, it knows it's in the wrong position. It has to just keep on coming, 
keep on coming, just kind of coming along this line here, coming along the line, until finally it comes to the place that it looks, and when it looks, when it looks, um, uh, it looks in, all four lights become like one light. When those four lights become like one light, it knows, turn here, turn right away, and go in. And it, it can go in, and it will, find, it will find safe harbor. It's able to get in and find safe harbor. So these four harbor lights, right, are what I want to talk about in the little time we have here this morning. These four harbor lights, we're going we're gonna to walk through them together, okay? The first one, number one, this is right in your notes. The first one, number one, is... The Word of God, W right there, number one, the Word of God, um, or the objective standard. The Word of God or the objective standard. If we're going to try and figure out where it is we're supposed to go and what it is we're supposed to do, if we're going to try to get some sense of divine guidance so we know what is the right thing to do, we, we have to start first with the Word of God. Very simple principles here. In 2 Samuel, you'll see it says here, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. And in your notes it says this, the word of God is the standard by which all guidance must be judged. God can never guide us to do something contrary to what he has already revealed in his word. That's like a, that is like a real basic concept right there. That, that the, the word of God is just, and God can never guide us to do something contrary to what he has already revealed in his word. Now, when I say the word of God, I'm talking about the word taken in context, right? People can take the Bible and make it say anything they want to say if they take it out of context. If you've um, ever seen a situation sometimes where people will kind of use the Bible like a, like a uh, little magic guide, you know, they'll kind of flip the pages open and put their finger down, you know, you know believing that as they put their finger down, they're going to read a verse and that verse is going to guide them. You know, like the guy who was going out with the girl named Grace right and uh, he said you know should I marry grace or shouldn't I marry grace I don't know if it's the right thing to do and then he took his bible he opened it up put his finger down and it said grace be unto you <gasps> you know grace be unto you and so when he saw that he knew he was supposed to marry grace but how many of you know that when it said grace be unto you in the bible it was not talking about his girlfriend grace are you with me Okay, so it's very important for us to understand it because otherwise you can take the Bible and make it say anything that you want it to say if you don't take things in context. So we're talking about the word taken in context. And what we see from this first principle is that God never asks us to do something contrary to what he has already revealed in his word. Now, let's... Uh, uh, let's kind of catch the picture. So imagine you're in a situation. Here you are, and uh, you've got a car, and your car is what gets you to work and things like that. And uh, the car breaks down. And so you, uh, you, you, you bring the car to the, to the repairman. The repairman looks at it. He says, oh, yeah, we can fix that. No problem. $1,000. That's what it will cost to fix your car. 
and you go, $1,000? I don't have $1,000. I don't know what, what am I going to do? But being a good Christian like you are, you, you got a problem, and so you bring your problem to God. You say, okay, God, Lord, I just ask you to provide for me somehow $1,000 so that my car will be taken care of. Later on that day, you're walking down the road, and as you're walking down the road, you look down, and there on the road is a wallet. You walk over, you pick up the wallet, you open it up, and inside is $1,000. Hallelujah! God has provided for my car. But is there any problem there? What's the problem? Yeah, the money belongs to somebody else. As a matter of fact, the wallet still has identification in it, right? So you look at the wallet, the wallet has identification in it, and it has $1,000, and you know you cannot take that $1,000 because of something God has already clearly said. Thou shalt not steal. Wow, this is very good, but, but very Bible-knowledgeable people here. Okay, so thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. So you know I can't take that money because the Bible, even though I, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Follow me on this now. I prayed for $1,000 and I found exactly $1,000. Shouldn't I be able to take that $1,000? Okay, think about this now. As I was walking down the road and I looked down and saw the wallet, I got a Holy Ghost chill. Now, I'm telling you now, I've got, I prayed for $1,000, there's $1,000 there, and I have a Holy Ghost chill. What do you think? Can I have that money? Okay, wait a minute. I'm walking down the road, I see the wallet, and I look down and see the wallet, I get the chill, but I also see on top of the wallet an 18-inch angel dancing like this, pointing down at the wallet. See now? Is it okay if I take that money? Wow. Okay, so here we have this problem, right? We have this, we ha- we have this, this situation where I would like to take this wallet, but I can't take the wallet. Why? Because the word of God tells me thou shalt not steal. God, has a, God will have a plan. God is going to provide. God's going to meet the need. God's going to do what has to be done, but he's going to do it. You know right away, as soon as you're involved in making any kind of decision, if the decision that you're trying to make is contrary to what the Bible says, you know immediately, right, that, okay, that's a path I cannot go down. I was in a situation recently where I was talking with a lawyer, and uh, it was a, there was a business transaction we were, we were working on, and uh, he said, well, he said, he said, uh, he said, you could do blah, 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 blah. And I said to him, I said, well, would that be morally the right thing to do? And he said, well, it's not illegal. You know what I mean? 
And I said to him, I said, okay, first of all, let's, let's just get this flat in all of our interactions, everything you bring up to me, every alternative, every option. I says, it has to be of the highest moral integrity. Whatever I'm doing, it has to be the highest moral. So don't even bring to me ideas that are going to be compromising anything to do with that kind of issue. Why is that? Because in my mind, the will of God is going to be found with me doing the thing. It's in, you know, if you think of it like a road with curbs on it, it's going to be found within the curb. The first curb, you might say, is the word of God. I'm not, God is not going to ask me to do something contrary to what he has already clearly revealed in his word. You with me? Yes? You agree? Okay, let's look at the second one. The second uh, principle here that will help us to make a decision, and this, can, this could be the kind of decision where you're trying to make a decision, where am I going to go to school, or you're trying to make a decision, you know, all, all different kinds of decisions that we face in life. The so first is the Word of God. The second is the Spirit or the subjective witness. That is, the witness in my spirit. It's not just the Holy Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit witnessing or connecting with my spirit. Uh, Acts 8.29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Um, so uh, so let's catch a picture of uh, how this might, uh, might happen. So, so I come to church one Sunday, and pastor has invited a guest speaker to speak, and while the guest speaker is speaking, all at once he stops, the speaker stops, points at me, and says, Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt go to the Ubungi Ubungi people and preach the gospel. Now, you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, I don't even know who the Ubungi Ubungi people are. I have no idea where they are. You know, I, 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 this is like total shock to me. I'm supposed to go to the Obungi Obungi. I've never even thought about Obungi Obungi. I've never even thought about missions. I've never thought about the idea of me going someplace. I, I, this, is like, this is like so, wow. Very exciting. Thou shalt go to the Obungi Obungi people. Now, I don't care whether a person prophesies. I don't care whether people are dancing. I don't care whether it's angels talking. I don't care whether it's, you know, whatever. If you say something to me and there is not within me a witness of the Spirit, that is, it's one thing, so, you know, thou shalt go to the Obungi Obungi people. What does the Word of God say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay, I guess that's, the Bible's pretty clear on that one. But God has this other way, that other thing that he does with us, which is, is there an inner witness? Is there a confirmation? Is there something in you that, that is confirming to this idea? If it's not, I'm not saying the person is wrong, right? He says, thou shalt go to the abundant abundant people. If he says that to me, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just simply saying this, there's not enough there for me to act on this. I'm going to take this now and I'll put it on the shelf, okay? That's interesting that this person has said this. I'm going to put it on the shelf, and if the Lord will bring to me other, other things so that there's some confirmation in my own heart about this thing. 
See, it's not just enough for God to say it. There has to be also within me some preparation, some witness of the Spirit, something that God has done to make me know, yes, this is something that I should act on. This is something that I should do. Um, For example, what if it had happened like this? What if that week I had been at the dentist office, and while I was sitting at the dentist office, this is the week before the prophetic word, while I was sitting at the dentist office, I was uh, looking at the magazines around board sitting there, and I picked up a National Geographic magazine. I opened up the National Geographic. It had kind of a centerfold that kind of opened up, opened up, and there was a picture of a tribe called the Ubungi Ubungi people. And I'm looking at this tribe, and I'm going, wow, look at this. And I'm reading in the article about, you know, how, how uh, neglected they are and the tremendous needs that they have within the tribe and, and uh, the spiritual uh, emptiness that's there. And, and I'm reading all this kind of st- this stuff, and I'm really touched in my heart. The dentist says, okay, you can come in now. And, and I, I put the magazine down. I go in, visit the dentist. I come out from the dentist. I'm ready to leave, but I'm pulled to that magazine. I go up to the receptionist. I say, do you think there'd be a problem if I just took this magazine? Oh, we've got other ones. There's no problem. Go ahead and take it. And so I take this magazine. And during the week, I'm looking at the Obungi Obungi people, and I'm feeling a burden in my heart toward those people. That Sunday, I go to church. And while I'm in church, there's a new, a new guy speaking. The guy gets up, and he says, Thus saith the Lord to me. Thou shalt go to the Obungi Obungi people. Now, how do you think I feel about it now? Hmm? How do you think I feel now? Because there's 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 a sense of confirmation. God was already speaking to me. God was already dealing with me. He was already working in me. And so when I hear this word, I go, whoa, this is God. You know, this is amazing. That he, how could he even know, right? You know, this is amazing that I, that I, I would consider this, right? So, so, and you need to be very careful about this. You know, in your notes, I, there are a couple of things here. It says, peace is one of the great guides. Um, uh, Colossians 3.15, peace is the umpire. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule, that word rule there uh, could be translated umpire. Let it, let it be the one, you know, how an umpire does, safe, you know, or out, you know. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then Philippians 4, 7 says, peace is the, is the guard. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, this witness of the Spirit, this peace of God, is one of the protections that God gives me. Now, uh, let me tell you where you might face this kind of thing in just regular life happening. So you're, you're going to buy a car, and you, uh, you, you go in, you sit down with the uh, certain used car you're getting ready to buy, and you, you go in, you sit down with the salesman. And as you're in the process of doing this, you know, he's got this certain car he's kind of put, and you really like the car, it's beautiful, but really it's more expensive than you, than you really should get. And so in your heart, you know, I could get this car, I just have to stop tithing, you know, and... Uh, and, and, and so, so, so in your heart, you're thinking to yourself, I don't think this is the right, is the right car for me, but I'm not really sure. I don't know what's happening. And the, and the salesman says something like this to you. You need to make a decision on this car right now because this afternoon I have two other people coming in, and I'm telling you, one of them is going to walk out of here with this car. 
So are you ready to make a decision right now? Now, if you don't understand this principle that I'm talking about, you will allow yourself to be pushed beyond your peace. See, you should be working, you should always be within the realm of your peace, that the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that when you're trying to be pushed beyond your peace, you know, one thing you always have to understand this, if that car is your car, that guy could not give that car away. If God is saying this car is your car, you know, maybe he's got to work something out financially for you or whatever, but if that car is your car, it's not going anywhere. He's not going to sell it that afternoon. If that car is your car, the Lord has given it to you, right? Let the peace, don't ever get pushed beyond your peace, right? So we, we, we look at what is the word, and then we look at the spirit. And then the third light that we see is the circumstances. The circumstances or divine providence the circumstances circumstances will line up with god's will so so here i am you know uh thou shalt go to the abungi abungi people it's amazing i was just looking at that we have the word of god what's the word of god says go into all the world and preach the gospel what does the spirit say the spirit says man i was just thinking about these people i was just praying about them just reading this national geographic magazine that's amazing and so the third thing is the circumstances. So maybe I think to myself, okay, well, I don't even, how much does it cost to go visit? If I wanted to even just go see where the Obungi Obungi people are, how much would it cost to go visit? And so this, this uh, issue of service, so I go check out my circumstances, and I go check out my bank account, and I find out my bank account has got a real problem, right? And uh, it's, it's, it's not a positive figure, it's actually a negative figure. Not only is it, you know, it's a negative figure because I've given the master charge of my life. I'm not talking about Jesus now. I'm talking about the master card charge of my life. You know what I'm talking about? And I've got, instead of having $5,000 that I could go make a trip, I got $5,000 negative, you know, that's there. That I owe money to people and all this kind of thing. And so my circumstances seem to be opposing my situation. Now... There are times we need to believe through circumstances. But I find that often the Lord will use circumstances to help us in, in one of two ways. He'll help us with the timing of something. Right? So I go to do something and all at once I'm being opposed. The circumstances are opposing me. And so what's, what's happening? There might be some timing issues. It's not that I have the wrong idea. It's that I have the wrong time. I'm thinking it's supposed to happen this September, but it's actually supposed to happen in January. I, I, I don't get it. And so the circumstances are resisting me, okay, in the situation. The second way I see circumstances often used by the Lord is to lift us to a better idea. That is, we somehow we've jumped ahead and gotten a certain idea of what's supposed to happen. And God wants, it's not that we, we have the right overall concept of what's supposed to happen, but we're, we've, we've committed ourselves to certain specifics that are not really a part of his will, and we've, we've grabbed a hold of that, and as a result of that, he's resisting us. Uh, let me tell you a story of, of how uh, that worked for me one time years ago. Years ago, a group of young leaders within the context of Elam 
got together and we all had a vision and a burden. I know how wonderfully this church has been involved with youth camp over the years. And we all had a burden to see a youth camp established for Elam. This was like our burden. So we got together, we prayed, we felt like we had the word of the Lord. We were supposed to do a youth camp somehow. It was going to come together. And, uh, and so we, set, we left that meeting, fire in our bones. We were going to go out and make something happen, see what was going on. So we went out and we tried to find facilities we could buy and we couldn't. And, and then we found something that looked like it might work, but, but we couldn't raise the money and all this kind of stuff. And, and so it was just one frustration after another frustration all year long until finally we came back together again a year later. And we were all pretty humbled. And we were gathered together again and we were praying. And we're saying, Lord, what, you know, what's supposed to happen? And so uh, as we're praying together, one of the guys in the group says, says, you know, he says, you know, we've been thinking about this idea of, of, of buying a camp and having everybody come to us. He said, what if instead of us buying one camp and having everybody come to us, we rented camps? And we, we began to use, we used different camps all up and down the eastern seaboard. And we put together a traveling team with some equipment and things like that. And that team would go to these different camps. And so as we're, we're praying together, it was like, whoa, it was just like a witness. Yeah, this is the right thing to do. And so that's exactly what they began to do. And they put together a camp. Uh, but it was a traveling camp, and we rented all up and down the eastern seaboard, 16 different camps for one whole season, one whole summer season. And our camp team went from camp to camp to camp to camp. We had more kids in camp that summer than we could have dreamed of having if we had had our own facility in one location besides trying to make everybody from all the different parts of the country come to that to that one location instead we went to them and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids were touched from that experience why all because we were resisted. That is, the circumstances did not seem to affirm or confirm, but in reality, it was God lifting us to a better idea. So never, never think that the circumstances are going to shut you down or they're going to stop you. And it's very important that you never let the circumstances alone be a guide to you. For example, think about this story. Uh, the, uh, Paul and Silas with the Philippian jailer, right? Do you remember that story? Paul and Silas have been unjustly locked into the Philippian jail. They're, they're, um, they're in the jail singing at midnight, worshiping, praising the Lord, just the two of them together, singing away, and all at once an earthquake hits. The walls fall down and their chains fall off, right? Now, let me ask you a question. If you were unjustly in prison, and you were praising God, and all at once the walls fell down and the chains fall off, what would you take that as a signal that you probably were supposed to do? Run, right? Get, you know, move out, get moving, you know, get out of here, kind of thing. But when you read the story, that's exactly the opposite of what's ha what happens. The Philippian jailer comes in. He realizes his prisoners are going to be gone. He's ready to kill himself. And, and Paul says, don't kill yourself. He says, we're all right here. He says, nobody's gone anywhere. 
And the Philippian jailer is so grateful, he brings Paul and Silas to his home. They preach to his family, and he and all of his family get saved, right? What if, if Paul had just let circumstances guide him, right? It's not enough. It's got to be the word, the spirit, the circumstances, and then the final, the final thing I want you to take here, I want you to see, is this idea of divine authority. In your notes, I think it says the church, divine authority, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to broaden it out a little bit. We'll just call it authority. I'll put an A there. And this has to do with authority within the church, but it has to do with other kinds of authority too. Let me explain to you what I mean. So in your notes, uh, if you look at Hebrews 13, 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I mean, there's a verse that is a shocker, right? Obey your leaders and submit to them. I mean, if they're, you know, that's one of those verses people want to just cross right out. You know, what was he thinking of? You know, no, you know, that can't be right. You know, but, but what the Lord is saying to us is this. There are authorities in our life, different kinds of authorities. Parents can be authorities in our lives. Uh, our spouses can be an authority in our life, right? I think it's a major problem if you think you've heard God telling you to do something and your spouse is not in agreement with that, right? So imagine our guy here. So our guy is in church. Remember, he's gone to the dentist. He found the magazine, and he goes, uh, he, he, you know, thou shalt go to the Obungi Obungi people. And, uh, and so he's gone, checked out his bank account. What, what does the word say? The word says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. What does the spirit say? Man, I just was there at the dentist office. The Lord was talking to me about these people. What do the circumstances say? I went and checked my bank account, and all, I have all the money I need to be able to respond and, and act on this. And then we come to the last thing. He comes to his pastor, and he says to us, Pastor, Pastor, I'm so excited. I'm going to, to the Ubungi Ubungi people. And the pastor says, you are? And he says, yes, I am. And he says, well, that kind of surprises me a little bit. Well, why does that surprise you, pastor? It surprises me because, well, usually before we send somebody off to the mission field, we want them to do a little something at home. What do you mean, pastor? Well, you remember when I asked you if you would help on Friday nights with the youth group, what you told me? Oh, no, not Friday nights, Pastor, Friday nights. Friday nights, I sit at home and wait. Somebody could call. It could happen, right? And I could go out with friends and things, if I had friends, right? But, I, I, you know, I, uh, you know, that's right. You said no to me. And, I, and you remember when I asked you to help me on Sunday mornings with, the, uh, with, with greeting people and things like that? What did, you say, what did you say to me? No, Pastor, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to have to be in a situation where I'm committed to have to be there every Sunday. You know what I mean? Because I like to get up in the morning and just kind of feel what the, where the wind is blowing, what the Spirit is saying today, you know? And I want to, you know, just go here or go there. I don't want you telling me, you know, that I got to be there, you know, if I, to hand out bulletins. Forget that. You know, I, I just want to be kind of free. And you said no to me about that too, Pastor says. And so, uh, and so it's kind of surprising to me that we would be sending somebody or God would be sending somebody to the Obungi Obungi people who isn't doing something here and now in the kingdom of God, right? And so what's, he, what's happening here? What's happening is this young man has a blind spot in their life. Are you with me? 
they have a blind spot and spiritual authorities are helping them identify the blind spot that's in their life. And uh, this, is, this is such a powerful thing. As I said to you, you know, sometimes I'll have people come to me, the Lord told me I'm supposed to do such and such, da 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 Well, where is your spouse about this? You know, what does your wife feel about it? What does your husband feel about it? What's the, you know, oh, they're not, but they don't ever, they don't ever think of, you know, they, they don't ever agree with me about anything. You know, I mean, I just feel I'm supposed to just do what God's telling me to do. And, and, and he says to us, no, he says, look, it's not enough. You got the word. We've got the, the spirit confirmation. We've got the circumstances. But who are the divine authorities in your life? And do they have something to speak into or something to say to this situation? Years ago, I was in a, a time when, when I was really struggling. Some authorities in my life, I was, I was just struggling with them and you know, wanting to follow their thoughts and ideas and things like this. And, uh, and a friend shared this illustration with me that's really helped me. A uh, kite, kite illustration right here. Kite. It's amazing, isn't it? The gift. Okay, so, so here's, the, here's the, the kite, and, and, uh, and there's a string coming from the kite going down, and here's the guy holding the kite, or a gal right here holding the kite, okay, right there. So, so the guy shared, this, shared this, this with me, this story with me. He, said, he says, this kite, he said, is up high in the sky, and the kite is thinking to himself, if I could just break this string... I could go anywhere that I want to go. This string is holding me down. It's keeping me from fulfilling my destiny. It's keeping me from going to all the places I want to go. And so the kite says, I'm going to pull, and he pulls, and he pulls, and he pulls, and finally the string breaks. But when the string breaks on a kite, does it go higher and higher? What happens to the kite? Falls down to the ground, right? And this is what the guy said to me. It changed my life at the time. This is what he said to me. He said this. He said, he says, often what seems to be holding you down is actually what's holding you up. That the thing that you think is holding you back. Oh, I can't, you know, if the pastor could just see blah, blah, blah on me, he would open the door for me and everything. The thing that seemed, if my wife only understood, she would, you know, be doing this and doing that. And she would, you know, if I didn't have these kids, they're just weighing me down. I could be doing this for God and doing that for God. All that kind of thinking. He says, he said, the thing that is, that you feel that thing is holding you down is actually the thing that's holding you up the thing that's keeping you there. That's why spiritual authority is absolutely so important because it has that it has that powerful it has that powerful impact. Well I know when we have a group like this gathered together that there are some of you that are facing some real challenging decisions in coming days, the things that you are wrestling with and you're struggling with, I want to do the right thing, I want to do what God wants me to do, and, um, and so I want to just take a moment just to pray for you right now, can we do that, just bow our heads and our hearts right now, 
And if you're here right now and you have got a decision that you've been wrestling with in your heart, you want to do what God, it's not an issue of are you wanting to do what God's will, but you're, you, you, you haven't necessarily had these principles. Maybe even as I've been speaking, certain lights have been going off in your head as I've talked about these four different harbor lights that lead us into safe harbor. But, but you are in a position where you're making an important decision. And if you're in that situation, I want you just to lift both your hands in the air right now. Just do that, right? You're in the position where you're making decisions. You're making decisions that you, we're going to impact your future, things you're going to be doing. Lord, around the room right now, different ones have hands lifted that are in places. They've been wrestling even with some things in their hearts. Some of them they haven't even talked to anybody else about certain things that they've thought, I'm just going to do this, and, uh, you know, just, just decisions that are in their mind. Lord, I just ask right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, as they set their hearts to apply these simple principles of the word, the spirit, circumstances, and authority, this, the authorities that you've put in their lives, if they apply those four things, that they are going to find themselves exactly in the center of your will and your way, that there is not going to be any fear of loss or anything like that. They're going to be right in the middle of what you're calling them to do. We thank you for it, Lord. We trust you for it now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Pastor Chris.